God bless. We're just going to pray over the offering. So, um, Marcus, where are you, brother? It's working its way to the front. Come on, give these young ladies a clap. They're doing a great job. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to give in your kingdom, Lord. We just uh, give out a reflection of what you've given to us, Lord. So we just thank you for that this morning. We thank you for that opportunity, Lord. We ask that um, the finances that we give, Lord, we use to extend your kingdom here in this city and beyond, Lord. Lord, we just commit ourselves, Lord, to you in every way, Lord. And this offering that we give, the tithes that we give, Lord, are just a reflection of our love for you. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you and we bless you and amen. If you haven't remembered to give that box up there, we don't actually thank you, ladies. We don't actually take an offering up in this church, so um, that box is at the back. If you're new and you want to give, feel, please feel free. We're just, I'm just going to throw to a video. I knew there was noise. see me we're going to go paintballing it's going to be a lot of fun all the men in the house it's going to be fabulous it's going to be a lot of fun we're going to enjoy ourselves and um i'm getting a trophy for the most athletic person so you've got to try and do those jumps and dives. do you see the guy dive through that window if anyone could do that i will stand and applaud okay so <laughs> and get shot probably yeah exactly so um come along join us i've got some people's names down so, so far um, if you can, um, the base cost is $15 and you pay for the paintballs and, and, um, as you go along. Um, if the guys that signed up last week have got that $15, that would be good, um, just to confirm the booking. But it's the 4th of May at Delta Force at Valdivis. I've got some pamphlets and some information if you want to come along. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come around your word, Lord. Lord, during these uh, series of um, sermons on life issues, Lord, and life questions and those things, Lord, we just... We just pray that you would, Lord, uh, be here this morning in your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, enable us, Lord, to grasp hold of those things, Lord, um, that you want to teach us, Lord. Um, we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices this morning. We just ask, Lord, that you would be here in the midst of us, Lord, that uh, the words that are said are not the words of a man, Lord, but uh, let us rely upon your word, Lord, to be able to understand and um, delve through this topic this morning. Amen. Everyone says? Amen. I've got the pleasure of talking about suicide. But don't leave because it's got a happy ending. I've been a Christian for 29 years. 29 years I've been a Christian. I've been to more church services than I've had meals. When I was at Bible college, we went to one every day for three years, every single day, sometimes twice a day. You're taking over. Excellent. I'll sit down. 
Um, and during that 29 years that I've been a Christian, I have never, ever, ever heard of anyone preaching about a topic like this. As Christians, we want to shy away from it. We want to pretend it doesn't happen. We want to sort of bury it away. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to approach it full on, head on. I want to talk about it. And then I want to turn to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. So be patient with me. The first uh, section of this sermon will have some figures, and those figures are startling. Um, but it is where we live. It's the world we live in. Um, you know, to hide our head and think it doesn't happen is, is insanity. Um, there's almost a pandemic out there. So let's just go through some figures. By the time I finish this sermon today, by the time I finish it today, 68 people will have taken their lives around the world. In 45 minutes, 68 people take their lives. Every 40 seconds, boom, it happens. As I said, that's a pandemic. It's, 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 it's incredible to think that that many people take their lives. About the same number again will try and fail. So every 20 seconds, every day, every year, someone tries to take their lives. That's a chilling statistic. It's incredible to think that in an affluent world, that's what happens. Now, that statistic is, at best, shaded. Because we don't have, uh, over Africa and the Middle East, we only have 10% of the country's statistics. Most of the countries don't tell us what happens. So over the Middle East and Africa, we've only got 10%. Now, Africa's a pretty big place. So you can imagine what happens there. Mongolia, Bolivia, and the Pacific Islands, there's no figures at all. So in, the, in reality, that figure of 20 people a second trying to take their lives is really a lot less. We only know um, the figures that we have because of people putting information into a global organisation that tries to prevent suicide. So it's a staggering figure. And when someone commits suicide, it touches all those people around them. Some people say it's a selfishest, selfish, selfishest act sorry, that a person can do. I don't think anyone that tries to commit suicide is being selfish. I think they're confused, I think they're in trouble, and I think they need help. And we'll discover what that help is soon. In my life, I've had three experience of three people that affected my life that have done it. <clears throat> when my wife and I were first married, we had a young friend. Her name was Juliet. And uh, we worked in a hospital together. And a, a number of people that related to her and friends of her committed suicide over a one-year period. We knew this, and we happened to be with her on the anniversary of the day those people done that, one-year anniversary. And um, <clears throat> we, you know, were conscious of this. We knew what had happened. So what we did was we said, well, why don't you come to the drive-in? We were going to drive-in. We had some other people going. We said, why don't you come along with us? And she said, no, no, I'm going to a going-away party. And we all looked at each other, and we don't know anyone going away. And um, she was happy. For the first time in a long time, she was actually happy. So um, the next day they discovered her in a car. She gassed herself. She um, had a cake which said, Goodbye, Juliet. Got a new party dress. But she was in a place and a state that she wasn't making good decisions. And in the end, it affected her and a lot of other people as well. I had a friend at work that um, had tetanus. He's got the ringing in the ear. And um, he decided one day to hang himself because he just couldn't live with it anymore. 
Warrell Bible College, there was a pastor, a senior pastor of a church, that committed suicide. It was a Sydney church. He was a young and influential pastor. He was very successful. Everyone um, believed that he was the next best thing, you know, to Brian Houston. And one day, and no one understands why, he committed suicide. Now, that really shook the AOG in New South Wales to its very core. Because like I said, we don't like talking about this type of stuff. And when a senior pastor does it, that, that really does ask a lot of questions. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to answer those questions. Sam, as we said earlier, done done a wonderful job last week um, talking about depression. These, it, it gets better. The next lot of sermons are going to get better. We talk about marriage and relationships and stuff like that. We're doing the hard ones first. And it's going to get better. So whatever you do, make sure you come along next week because Pastor Mike will be back and it's going to be a great sermon. And this is going to be a great sermon once we get past this initial statistics and information, okay? Everyone say, yes, Pastor, it's going to be great. <laughs> and this pastor that committed suicide, like I said, it really, really rocked the AEG movement. And um, all of a sudden they, they thought, well, we better keep an eye on pastors. We better make sure that, you know, they, they're, they're not suffering mental illness and stuff like that that they're not hiding things that need to be hide. As I said, Sam done a wonderful job, and, and this sermon and his sermon, they dovetail together because so often suicide is from depression and stuff like that. So, so they do dovetail together. And what um, Sam said last week is, you know, every answer that I've got as well. But what I want to do is I want to look at the Bible. So let's just, as they say, put a pin in that and set it aside for a minute. And I just want to turn to the Bible. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you Six recorded suicides in the Bible. There's only six, arguably seven. But we're going to count six and we're going to talk about the seventh one in a minute. Abimelech, Judges 9, 52 to 45. Abimelech lacked personal identity and he committed suicide. Saul, we all know about Saul. He was stressed, unable to live up to certain expectations that he had upon himself. He felt rejected and he felt like a failure and he took his life. He actually asked his armor bearer to take it first. Eventually he took his own life because of failure. Saul's armor bearer. He, it was an impulse. He didn't want to die. But his boss asked him to commit suicide. He was a young man. And it was an impulse. 40% of all teenage suicides are impulse. 40% are just a click of the moment, a wrong decision. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run my car in a tree. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's an impulse. Ephilippin was bitter. And that's in 2 Samuel 17, 13 was bitter because his advice was not followed. Zimri, in 1 Kings 16, 15 to 20, he, he lived in rebellion, and he had a problem with authority. And we all know about Judas. Judas Iscariot hanged himself from a tree because he betrayed Jesus. He was depressed. He felt trapped. He was, he was um, ruled by materialism and guilt. So they're the six guys. The, the seventh one is Samson. Now, Samson... Um, which is in uh, Judges 16, 25 to 30. He did kill himself, but that was not what he was trying to do. He was trying to destroy the enemy of God. And Samson's um, death was a result of that. So why suicide? Well, what we try and do, let me, let, me, let me go back a step. What we try and do, and the reason why we don't talk about it, because it's very, very hard, it's very hard to have an answer for it. As human beings, what we want is we want a whole shelf in the back of our mind somewhere 
with little neat boxes wrapped with little bows on them and in those are the answers to all problems. That's what we want. When we have a problem, when someone does this, we can go in the back of our mind, we can get that little box off the shelf, we can open it up, we can read what we wrote in that little box and all of a sudden it makes sense. But the reality is, suicide is not like that. It's not like that at all. It is painful, it's sorrowful, it's vicious, it's hurtful. Sometimes we have answers for it, sometimes there just simply isn't any answers. We can look at people's mental um, faculties at the time and make an excuse for it. We can say, look, you know, they, they weren't really sure of what they were doing because they weren't sure of what they were doing. Surely God doesn't hold that against them. And I believe that fully, 100%. I also believe that if you commit suicide in rebellion and you're doing it on purpose because you want to end your life because you don't want anyone else to control you, then I don't believe there's an answer to that. So it's a very, very hard and difficult thing to put in a box. So this morning, I'm not going to try and put it in a box. We're going to leave some questions unanswered. And the reason why we're going to do that is because every case stands on its own. And you need to approach every case of when people um, do this to themselves as an individual thing. You just can't have a blanket answer. We all like blanket answers. We live in a society that has an answer for everything. And that's what we like, and that makes life easy for us. But this situation doesn't have a blanket answer and never will have a blanket answer. Suicide comes from a Latin word. Sui, which means self. Side, which means murder. So it's always had an inkling that it is murder of self. And that's what it always is and it always will be. And again, we're not here to judge. I'm not here to judge. Some people do it for, for reasons of rebellion against God. Some people do it because they simply don't know what they're doing. Depression gets hold of them, other things get hold of them, and they simply make the wrong choice. Again, 40% of all teenagers commit suicide. It's an impulse. They don't plan it. They just simply do it. Suicide has as its very core of murder of self. And the Word of God tells us that the devil is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus himself said in John chapter 18, verse 44, And the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Today I'm not going to try and box it up. I'm not going to try and put pretty wrapping paper. I'm not going to try and put a ribbon on it so that you can store it in the back of your mind somewhere. And if it ever happens to you, and I pray it doesn't, if someone close to you ever does it, and I pray they don't, you will approach it as an individual thing. You won't try and have a blanket answer. You will look to God for the answer. Because in the end, that's where the answers come from. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to give you three reasons. Three fabulous reasons well what i want to do is i want to equip you let me go back i want to equip you with three fabulous keys that are going to help you if you're ever faced in a situation where you know someone is contemplating suicide that i'm going to give you three things three keys that can help you minister to them you know as a church that's what we're meant to do that's what the bible says we're meant to equip you and that's what i want to do today so the first one let's just turn in our books to psalm 139. And that's where we're going to start from. God made you and fashioned every part of you. You are a perfect creation in his eye. You are the apple of his eye. He loves every, every part of you. Every part of you. 
your body, soul, your spirit. He loves every part of you. You know, we're going to get on to a bit later, but salvation is holistic. It's not just our souls. It's, as Pentecostals, we seem to, you know, and, and as, as people with a heart for evangelism, we always talk about winning souls, winning souls, winning souls. Well, that's incorrect. What we're meant to do is win the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. That's what we're meant to do. So let's just go to Psalm 139, start at verse 13. For you created my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What a fabulous passage of Scripture. Did you catch all that? It's it's so jam-packed full of stuff. It's, It's hard to catch it all when you read it. That's why we should always read Scripture again and again and again because the Spirit of light and sings to us at different times when we read different things. So we can never read the Bible too many times. The Spirit of God will enlighten passages to you as you read them. You know, I've read through the Bible that many times I've lost count. And every single time you read it, you go, wow, that just blows my mind away. Because what God does is he builds upon a precept upon precept, and that's what he does. And we need to learn this before we can learn that. And as we read the Word of God, he opens our eyes and our minds and our spirits to new things. So what I want to do is I just want to touch briefly on this passage of Scripture. It's got, it's jam-packed full of stuff. And if we were going to preach about this, we'd be here all day. And this is just the first point. And you've all got things to do, so we won't do that. The first thing I want to talk about is in this point, point 1A, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident. You're not a biological experiment. You're not something that God thought, well, I've got nothing better to do. Let's make man. Let's, let's have a go and see what happens. God created you in his image. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knitted you together in the womb. It's not an accident you're here. It's not um, a will of your parents that you're here. It's the will of God. I don't know if you've ever seen those, um, those little uh, sex education programs where we've got the little egg and the little sperms and they all fight to get to it. Has everyone ever seen them? And there's millions of these little suckers. And there's one egg. And they fight to get to it. And then they, I seen one and it astonished me because what it was, the egg was there. And I don't know if you know how this works. So the egg's there and all the, the sperm go. And they plummet this egg and they just keep going. There's 20, 30, 40, 50 things, 100, 200 things around this. And what happens is one of them gets through this uh, force field penetration, whatever you want to call it. They penetrate the outside of the egg. And immediately, immediately, Another case goes over so the rest can't get in. I mean, how incredible is that? How incredible is that? How incredible is God to think that up? So the, the, the little tadpole guy, he rushes to get to the egg and he knows this is his chance and God empowers the little fella and praise the Lord for that. <laughs> and when he gets there, all these other dudes want to get in and he's going, I'm going, I'm coming, I'm coming. And the minute that egg receives that one little tadpole, bang, 
it shuts the door for all the rest. God allowed that to happen in that millisecond. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident. You were created by God. He knitted you together in your mother's wombs. But let me go on. The most important part of that scripture is this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before you were even born, God got the Lamb's book of life. He wrote your name down in it. Before you were even thought of. Before, you, before your parents existed. He got the book out. He wrote in there your name. He wrote in there your plan and pur- his plan and purpose for your life. He wrote in there how long you would live. He wrote in there when you would come home to heaven to be with him. And he closed the book. Even before your parents were born, even before your grandparents were born, even before their parents or their parents or their parents or their parents. The Bible tells us that even before there was life on earth, he took that book out and wrote it all down. Now, God's not trapped by time. He sees everything. He knows the decisions you're going to make. But he has a plan and purpose for your life, and that we're going to talk about soon. But he's ordained. He set in place days for you. He set in place days for your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles. He set those days in place. And that self-murder that we're talking about robs God of those days. It doesn't allow God's purposes to be fulfilled. You know, people that take their lives, there's no more chance. If they take their lives in rebellion to God, there's no more chance for them to get saved. And that's a harsh reality. That's a harsh reality. Now, we don't know when they make that decision, you know, we don't know in that instance when breath leaves their lives, they don't call out to God. We don't know that. And I'm never going to say that there's ever, you know, a a blanket thing that if you commit suicide, you don't go to heaven. I'm not going to say that because I don't know. You don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. So we're only guessing. But if you don't let God take your life, either by accident or age or whatever way God chooses to do that, you are robbing God. You're robbing him of the chance to sow good things in your life. You're robbing him of the chance to bless you. You're robbing him of the chance to use you. We're going to talk about a lady that uh, I admire as one of the greatest Christians in the world at the moment. And we're going to talk about her. And she tried to commit suicide. She actually begged her friends to bring a sleeping tablet so she could kill herself. And God has used And we'll talk about that as I'm wrapping this up. But so many times, so many people have ended their lives when their lives had so much potential. So what we've got to do with the friends we know and the people we love is we need to make sure, make sure that they don't rob themselves. Make sure that they don't rob God because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are the apple of God's eye. Each one of you, God formed in your mother's wombs for a purpose, for a period of time, for a destiny. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Because I believe everyone has a destiny. Everyone has a destiny. Everyone has a purpose. There's not anyone that is on this earth marking time until the maker comes back. You know, back in the 70s, they were so sure that Jesus was going to come back then that what some churches did is they stopped stopped teaching kids church. They thought there's no point. These kids are, you know, five or six years old. You know, they're going to die next year, the year after. So what's the point of teaching the kids church? 
they're just going to be in heaven. It's going to be great. And they lost a whole generation of people, some churches, because they just didn't bother teaching them. You know, as Christians, our role should always be to preserve life, not only ours, but that of others. Our role should always be to um, encourage, to show love, to show grace, to show mercy, to show peace, because that's what God has done for us. And if we do that, then we are showing the example of Christ to the world and the nations. And that's what we need to do. So we should never take our own lives. We understand that. We should never allow anyone else to do it. We should step in where we can. The reason being that it does not belong to us, but to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, we all, we've read that passage hundreds of times and you know, it, gets, it gets used for different reasons. But how true is it of, of us, uh, you know, taking this temple? Now, mine's a little old. It's a little sore in places. It's probably a little overweight in places. Ah, excellent, brother. God, God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> You know, it's, 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 not, it's not in the peak physical condition it was when I was 20 years old, 22, 23. You know, but it's still the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's still the place where God dwells. And I, as a human being, have no right to tamper with it. I, as a human being, have no right to damage it. I do damage it, but not on purpose. I work in an industry where people get hurt all the time. I've fallen off. I fell off a damn one. I fell off a 100-meter high dam, and um, I'm falling backwards 100 meters down, and I'm thinking, well, this is it. I'm going to go meet Jesus, and I was pretty happy. <laughs> and I thought, this is it, and I fell literally backwards off a dam 100 meters down and fell backwards, and I didn't know where I was on the dam at this point. Back in those days, we didn't have things like handrails. There was just a 100-meter drop, bang. So I've fallen, and... Um, it was, it, was, it was an interesting feeling. It was a feeling of, wow, this is it. It was a feeling of, wow, this is like what it must like be to fly. And amazing, all those things happen in like half a second because after 10 meters, I stopped dead. What we had was we had a platform out there where we put everything that, the, that went on the crane. And what we did, we had these massive steel beams that we counter-levered out. And I was lucky enough to fall off the dam where that is. I dislocated a shoulder. I broke a couple of ribs, but I was okay. Um, you know, and sometimes we damage our bodies, not on purpose, but just with going through life. Sometimes we have cars and sometimes we do different things. And, you know, just because our body's a little broken doesn't mean it's not a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just because, you know, we've done some damage to it doesn't mean it's, it's any less perfect in the eyes of God. You know, God loves you. He loves every part of you. You are a whole being. And He loves you. And he cares for you. And what we need to do is we need to treat this temple that he chooses to live in with respect. Jesus said in John 10, um, I tell you the truth that I am the gate for the sheep. All All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life 
and have it in the full. Jesus wants you to have life, not only for your spirit, but for your body as well. Jesus wants your existence on this earth to be one of joy and happiness and peace. You know, one of the promises in the Word of God, and we're going to get to it a bit later, is that you're going to have tribulation as well. And that tribulation is not a bad thing. We always look at at pain and sorrow as bad. It's not. Because what pain and sorrow and tribulation do, as I said earlier, the Word of God builds precepts upon precepts. What that tribulation does is allow those things to be put in place so you can learn more. Does that make sense? You know, the things we go through in life and the pain that we feel and the sorrow and the tears that we cry are all for a reason or purpose. It's not just because, you know, cosmically it happened to happen. It's all for a purpose and a reason. And God builds upon that and he builds us into the people that we need to be so that we can be effective ministers for him. And that's everyone. That's not just the pastors at the front or, you know, the leaders in the church. That's everyone. Everyone is a minister for Jesus. And that's why we go through things in life. But the important thing we need to remember is that he came to give us life and give us life in the full. That's the reason he came. Sure, life might have its ups and downs. We can make the wrong decisions. We can fall victim to being negative. But the word of God always tells us this in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, God himself, God works for good for those that love him. And that's everything. All the good, all the bad, all the ugly. You know, that movie is a great movie because uh, it's got all that that can happen to you in the life. Good, bad, and ugly. And it does happen to us. It happens to us all. Don't think that anyone escapes that. Everyone has to grow in God. And those things, those good and bad and ugly things, happen to us for a reason and a purpose. I'm going to start again. And we know that in all things God works for good for those whom love him and who are called according to his purposes. For God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. I'm sorry. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that, who raised to life, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to the slaughter no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any power nor any height nor any depth nor anything else in all creation that will be able to that can able to separate us from the love that is in christ jesus our lord Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. He loves you. He's called you. He's predestined you. He's given you a purpose. He's got a plan for your life. And God wants you to travel your journey with Him. The final thing I want to talk about is God's plan for your life. 
He has a plan to give you life, not death. The Bible teaches that both physical and spiritual death is the result of our sin, uh, the result of sin and disobedience to God. But life eternal is a gift for those who receive. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, God has a great plan for your life. God has created us in our image. We read that in Genesis. He created us for a purpose. In fact, he has a specific plan in mind for every one of us. An individual plan he wrote down in the book, as I talked earlier, before breath was breathed into your body. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. This is a, an amazing passage of Scripture. It's used a lot um, to encourage people. And for years and years, you know, I've, I haven't struggled, but I've wondered what the application is for us. Because the reality is this was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah to the children of Israel that lived in exile. And, you know, Preachers love this passage of scripture. They love talk, talking over people's lives. And um, I've had it talked over my life so many times, it's not funny. And I sit there and I wonder, well, really, I'm not an Israelite. I'm not uh, trapped in exile, you know, in a faraway land from my homeland. So what does it really mean to me? And then years ago, God sort of really enlightened it to me. Because I am in exile. My home is heaven. My home is heaven. My home is not of this earth. My home is heaven and one day I'll be there. And we will all be there one day. Every single one of us. And if you think you're going to get away from me, you're in trouble. Because I'll be there. And even though we're in exile, we're not in heaven. Even though we're far away from where we should be, God has a plan and purpose for us. He has a future and a hope for us. And what we're meant to do is we're meant to live out that plan for our lives. We're meant to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. When God, when we get to heaven, God's going to open that book and He's going to pull out our name. The Lamb's Book of Life. And he's going to say, Leonard Monday. And I'm going to go, giddy up. But what he won't say is everything he wrote down. You know, all that stuff that he wrote down and, you know, the plan and the purpose that we talked about earlier. You know, the Bible tells us that we, we actually do get told that later on that, you know, we could have done this and we didn't and we'll have tears in our eyes. And Jesus himself, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, will come and wipe those tears away the Bible tells And, you know, that's a humbling thought. That God has a purpose and destiny to call for my life. And if I don't live it, I will shed tears. And my Master and Savior will wipe those tears away. How good would it be to go to heaven and not have any tears? Not have any regrets for the choices we made in our lives. Not having any regrets because we know God's called us to do something, but it's just too darn hard. God has a purpose and call for your life. He's got a purpose and call for everyone's life, whether they believe it or not, no matter if they're the worst sinner in the world. Let me tell you a story about a guy. This guy, he's uh, religious. He believes there's a God. And, um, you know, he's read lots of books and, you know, believes fully that God created the world in seven days. He, he does, no doubt about it. 
But these other people, they rise up and they start saying, well, you know, yeah, that's true. But, you know, we know a guy called Jesus and he is the son of that guy. So what this guy does, because he's very fervent and in his beliefs, he starts killing them off. He starts taking those Christians and, um, you know, the very first martyr in the Bible is a guy called Stephen. And when Stephen was stoned to death, the Bible tells us that... Uh, all the people took their cloaks and their robes off because you can't throw stones if you've got a cloak on. And they stoned him to death. And what they did was they took those robes and as tradition in those days, you find the, the guy that's the most educated scholar, the, you know, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And what you do is you place your robes at his feet and he stands there giving permission for this to happen so that then the murder of this person is not counted against him because it's a justified stoning. That's the way the system works. So Paul sat there while Stephen got stoned. And then he went around trying to kill everyone. But God had not, God had not, God had not seen his plans and purposes yet fulfilled in this man's life. You know, you might think that you're the biggest sinner in the world. You might think that. Trust me, you're not. Trust me, you're nowhere near it. Trust me. You know, Paul had to live with that for the rest of his life as he served God that he was the one that persecuted the church, that he was the one that was there at the stoning of the very first martyr of the church, that he was the one that went from town to town hunting Christians down to kill them. One day on a road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. Then he has a revelation that Christianity is not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. That's why we're here this morning. Imagine, imagine just for a minute. Imagine if you can for a minute. If Paul would have sat there and said, no, God, I'm too much of a sinner. You can't have a plan and purpose for my life. You can't have anything for me to do. Look what I've done to your church. Look what I've done to your people. But no, Paul, Paul understood God. He understood that he has a plan and purpose for his life. You have a plan and purpose for your life. You were created, shaped, modeled in your mother's womb by the very God of creation for a plan, a purpose, and a reason, a destiny. And so was everyone else. Whether they choose to do it or not is their choice. Whether they choose to accept their gift of God is their choice. Let me just read it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. So, Wrapping it up, what's the answer? I don't think there really is one. I don't think you can put it in a nice, neat box, wrap it up in pretty paper and put a bow on it. Troubles will come. John 16, 33 says this. I have told you these things so that, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world, declares Jesus. We are called overcomers in the Scriptures. Just like Jesus overcome the world, that's what we're meant to do. And for some of us, the thing that we need to overcome is that pain that we feel, that desire we have to turn the lights off. Make no mistake about it. The answer is Jesus. The solution to despair and hopelessness is not suicide. There's always Jesus. Psalm 33, 20 says this, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your, may your unfaithful love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put 
our hope in you. Jesus promises that he will give us peace. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you are laden burdened. I will give you rest. I said earlier there's a, there's a Christian that I admire. Her name is Joni Erickson Targ. She's 63 years old today. Not today, but this year, sorry. She's a famous Christian quadriplegic. She's uh, 17 years of age. She jumped into a river and she, in her words, she hit a sandbank with her head and it pushed her neck back and broke her spinal cord. She floated uh, to the surface with her head down. Some people grabbed her and they took her to hospital. Her spine was broken. She's a quadriplegic. She was so full of despair in that hospital that she begged, begged her friends to bring sleeping pills so she could feel safe. Her friends said no. Her friends told her that God had a plan and a purpose for her. It's so hard sometimes for us to understand that when we feel pain. But God has a plan and purpose for everything. We read earlier, all things, all things, all things happen for good for those that love and serve the Lord. She has spent a lifetime, an absolute lifetime of helping people with disability. She has started churches. She's written books. She's changed the Christian's view on people with disabilities. Half a century ago, Maybe not even that long ago. If you had a disability, people would look at you and say, well, why don't you have faith? Why can't you be healed? Have you got sin in your life? And that's simply not true. Sometimes things happen for God's purposes in the world. And that's what happened with Joni. Can I just ask the band to come up? What I want to do today is I want to pray together. You know, I love calling people out the front. I think it's the best thing in the world when you can lay hands on people and really feel um, God's anointing touch them. But what I want to do today, this is a worldwide problem. This is a pandemic that's sweeping the world. Some nations have recorded in the last 10 years a 65% increase in suicide. 65% in 10 years. That's incredible. So what I want to do today is I want to pray. And I want to pray for uh, anyone in this world that's thinking of it at the moment. You know, like I said, it happens every 40 seconds. 68 people since I started talking have passed away. So what I want to do is I just want to pray to God and just uh, ask God to open the floodgates of heaven and bring comfort to the people that are in sorrow. Amen? That's what I want to do. So let's all stand. We're going to pray. And then we're going to get the band to sing so blessed because we are blessed. Amen? We are a blessed people of God. And even though we've talked about a tough thing today, you know, God is always there. And in the midst of trouble... Whenever um, people we know and love are feeling that pain and, and making those bad decisions, Jesus has answers. And those answers, you know, we've talked about this morning, you know, they ha- God has a plan and purpose for their lives. You know, God loves them, the holistic of them, their body as well. There's a temple of the Holy Spirit um, that we need to protect and that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's just pray. Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord, that we can come together, Lord, and we can talk about a topic that... Uh, For so long, Lord, was taboo in church. For so long, Lord, we just didn't talk about because we've seen it as weakness. And, Lord, we understand now, Lord, that it it is pain that these people feel, Lord. That um, it's a bad decision in a a second, in a moment for young people, Lord. But, uh, Lord, it's, it's, it's a desire to end pain. And, Lord, we just thank you that this morning we can stand here and join our faith together, Lord. Your word says that if two or more 
agree it shall be done, Lord. Well, this morning we stand together as one. And we pray, Lord, that over the nations of the world that you would send the comforter. Lord, that you would send the comforter to those that are in sorrow and mourning this morning, Lord. Those that are about to make a decision, Lord, that will end their life, Lord. We pray, Lord, that that they, Lord, get the substance of this message this morning, Lord. That they understand and know, Lord, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, Lord. Lord, speak into their spirits now and let them know, Lord, that you've got a plan and purpose for their lives, Lord. Let them know, Lord, that that body that that they want to destroy, Lord, Lord, is the temple of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning we pray for the nations of the world, Lord. We ask that you would send the Holy Spirit, Lord. Touch the hearts and the lives of people that are in sorrow, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Lord, let them raise their heads, Lord, and understand that you are the one true God of all creation. That you love them, Lord. That you died for them, Jesus. Let them know and understand, Lord. Intervene at this point, we ask, Jesus. For you are the answer, Lord. You are the truth. And Lord, we know that the truth shall set people free. So this morning, Lord, we join our faith together. And we all say, Amen. Amen.